This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL hockey pod podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Brewer in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host is AJ Scholes, who's a great follow at AJ Scholes24, in his co-host chair in Madison, Wisconsin. We all want to wish you the best of the holiday season. Hope you had a nice Christmas, AJ. Uh, it was nice for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, had uh, had some time with with the kiddos and and the, the family. Um, I bought the four of us uh, some penguin uh, pajamas. Uh, they're not completely matching. The two girls are. Their their pajamas are matching. Um, got some some other ones for for my wife and I, so we can you know wear our, our penguin PJs before. Uh, you know, before games and, and uh, you know, while, while crawling into bed. <laughs> very, very cool, my friend. It's always nice to wear your team's colors. You'll notice that I'm wearing a different sort of sweater today. It's a nod to a friend of mine, uh, Brian McFarlane. Uh, fans of a certain vintage will remember him as the intermission host here north of the country, north of the border uh, for Hockey Night in Canada. That's the logo up here. Uh, this is a hockey sweater that I found in Niagara Falls on my way to a hockey conference for a the society that Brian told me about, actually, about 25 years ago, the Society for International Hockey Research, I served on the board of directors there for about 20 years, became president of the group, and it's uh, filled with luminaries in the hockey world, uh, a very vibrant society that uh, does a lot of research into the hockey history and uh, and things that are going on today. A lot of people in the media belong to this group, so it was really great for me to meet Brian, and recently he uh, got awarded the Order of Canada, which is the highest civilian order that uh, is a, is given out in this country, and I'm very proud to say I wrote the application for him. So I'm really happy for Brian, and this is my little tribute to him today. Uh, but back to today's show, AJ, as uh, the season approaches, we're likely to see a number of transactions as quite a few teams are still over the salary cap. One of those clubs is the Tampa Lightning, but they took a big step toward fixing that with a trade that sent Cedric Paquette, Braden Coburn, and a 2022 second-round pick to Ottawa for Anders Nilsson and Marion Gavrik, two fellows who are both likely to wind up on the long-term injury reserve uh, for the whole season that opens up possibilities for the Lightning and gets them out of cap hell from my perspective. Your thoughts on that deal? 
Yeah, I think what's interesting uh, to me about this, you know, one, that's a lot to give up just for cap space, um, to to be perfectly honest. But uh, you do what you got to do, right? But the interesting part is like the business side of it, right? So the the Senators, who are a club that has historically struggled a little bit more, they're they're not the most financially well-off club in, in part because of how ownership runs the, the thing, they dumped these two contracts that they would have to pay, even though they weren't going to count against the cap. Conversely, you now have a team in Tampa Bay that including Nikita Kucherov, you're paying almost $17 million uh, worth of LTIR contracts, but the lightning, uh, they just won the cup. Obviously they, they the revenue there for that team is really high. And so um, just kind of an interesting business side of, of this situation where, yeah, there's cap constraints on here, but you're also talking about the ability to even pay these guys um, their actual salaries outside of the cap and, and the business side of it. Yeah, it's an onerous hit uh, taken on by the Lightning to get out of this cap jail situation, but it was a must-do. And uh, the fact that Kucherov winds up on this on the sidelines for the whole season might upset a lot of people's uh, rankings of players because you would think he's easily a top 10, maybe even a top 5 player in this league when healthy, and uh, he'll be lost to the team for the entire regular season. That's a blow that uh, they'll be hard-pressed to, to replace in their lineup. A second deal by the Senators took place last week. They also acquired Derek Stepan from Arizona for a second-round pick in 2021. This was another one to ease Arizona's cap burdens, so the Senators seems to be a catch-all for teams that are struggling against the cap, and uh, they took advantage of this by securing a guy who I think will be no worse than a second-line center for them. Last week, we pointed out in the analysis of the Northern or Canadian division, uh, this brings up-to-date that group right now, and I say that Stepan will slot in as that number two center between uh, Connor Brown and first round draft pick Tim Stutzley on what could be a very intriguing unit. Your thoughts, AJ? Yeah, I definitely think that that's where I would pencil him in as well. But I wouldn't be surprised if at some point during the season he gets opportunities with the first group there um, with Dadnoff and Tichuk. Um, But yeah, I would slot him in second line center. And really, when you add him and Paquette, uh, they've really strengthened what we highlighted as, as a weak point last week. And, A.J., we're going to get into an analysis of the Western Division, uh, one of the three groupings of U.S.-based teams in a moment. But before we do that, I'd like you to give a nod to our sponsor, BetMGM, please. Yeah, absolutely. Sports bettors know that magic happens when you turn a hunch into action and apply the right amount of expertise. That's why BetMGM has teamed up with RotoWire to offer new BetMGM customers a free six-month RotoWire subscription when they place their first bet. Register on the BetMGM app or website. Use the promo code ROTO, that's R-O-T-O, to claim your free subscription. Once you make your first sports wager, you'll receive a season's length of RotoWire's unmatched sports insight. Find out why BetMGM is the king of sportsbooks by signing up and placing your first bet today. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 years of age or older to wager Colorado, Indiana, New Jersey, Nevada, Tennessee, and West Virginia only. Please gamble responsibly. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado and Nevada and 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey and West Virginia in Tennessee. Call or text the red line at 800-889-9789. If you know someone or you... If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. 
Check out M- BetMGM, folks. It's a very interesting website, and we're happy to have them along for the ride this year. We're going to get into the Western Conference now, uh, Western Division uh, of the NHL, AJ. A lot of game, these games we played late at night. I hope to tune into a, a bunch of them uh, with the NHL package and uh, some new faces and new places we highlighted off the top with Anaheim. We'll begin the analysis and uh, on defense they made a couple of changes that are notable for me Kevin Shattenkirk a guy who's rehabilitated his career the last couple of years and now has a Stanley Cup ring to boot he, he was signed by the uh, the Ducks in the offseason from the Tampa Lightning and they also brought over a guy a defenseman a veteran from the Swedish Elite League Cody Curran to bolster that back end it was a unit that uh, faced some challenges last season but with the addition of these two guys I like the makeup of the group, but before we get into analysis of the defense, I want you to walk us through what the net mining mix is, familiar faces in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. So just, you know, just a week ago, it looked like they were probably going to go into the year with Anthony Stolarts as the number two, but on uh, the 23rd, little Christmas present for the Miller family, he signed a one-year $1 million contract to stay with the Ducks uh, for another year. So, um, you know, that gives them a, a really solid backup behind John Gibson. Gibson will, you know, continue to carry the bulk of the workload for this team. You know, Miller's numbers might be a little bit higher than what you saw last year just because of the condensed schedule. Look, now that we know what we're looking at, um, a handful of back-to-backs, but for the most part, these teams are playing every other night. There's a few three-night breaks here and there. Um, so the goaltending backups are going to get opportunities outside of the back-to-backs, and I think Miller is one of those guys that could see more opportunities. Um, but ultimately, John Gibson should continue to carry the load about 60 to 65%, I think, of, of the games for them. Yeah, to me, Gibson is underrated, AJ, and it's a function of him playing on the left coast. Not a lot of people get to see him uh, in prime time, but one of the top goalies in hockey, a real workhorse, and Miller, a very capable backup, headed to the Hall of Fame as soon as his career is over in my opinion as the winningest goalie in u.s hockey history u.s born players hockey history for goalies so a nod to both of those guys uh, pretty good t- tandem there i see maybe a 65 35 split in terms of the percentage of games played in the net mining situation in terms of the defense i th- suggested to you and our listeners that it looks like a bolstered unit consider that cam fowler and hampus lindholm two of the guys that are going to be involved in power play time lead the pack here and are locked up for a couple of years at least with uh, five million dollar plus uh, salary cap hits josh manson and kevin shatkirk a very veteran second pairing possibly or and then uh, jacob larson and cody curran bo- uh, both come in looking like they're going to fill in the third pairing roles christian juice kind of an insurance policy a little bit younger than a couple most of the guys on the back end is signed for a million dollars and he'll probably spell anybody that gets hurt he'll be the first option that they call up aj what do you think of this unit well i actually think it'll be brendan gooley uh who gets that that first look he's got uh, 59 NHL games under his belt, 14 points to show for it. He has some pretty productive numbers in the minors. So, um, yeah, still working on translating that to the NHL game. I'm not expecting him to be any sort of breakout star or anything like that. But I think he will actually fit in uh, probably as the, the first, uh, you know, available guy if, if maybe Cody Curran doesn't work out or he could challenge uh, Christian Juice for, for ice time. Uh, in terms of the forward group, uh, you know, we're looking at not a lot of change really here. You know, you've got 
Um, Sonny Milano, um, you know, spent some time with them last year. Um, and so he's, uh, got, you know, got an extension, um, and he'll stick around. So a bit of a known quality, but with the shutdown, you know, they didn't see as much of him as they would have wanted, but first line is going to be no doubt Silverberg, Henrique, uh, and Rickard Raquel, I think slots in as the right wing. I think all three of those guys are pretty sure up in having the first line spot. I mentioned Sonny Milano. He'll be on the left wing of number the second line here. Although I think he'll face some challenges from some of the younger guys. You've got Ryan Getzlaff and Danton Heinen. Again, the the probably the only guy in that that second group that should feel any sort of security is Ryan Getzlaff, and even he might face challenges from the likes of a guy like Sam Steele. Um, the third line is those young guys. I think all of these guys will push for more opportunities. Max Jones, Sam Steele, and Troy Terry. Uh, and then a veteran group kind of rounding out a fourth kind of gritty line, Nick Delorier, uh, Derek Grant, and Carter Rowney. They've also got David Backus available. Uh, he could really fit in anywhere. He's pretty versatile, um, could play center, could play wing. So uh, not a lot of, uh, you know, secure spots, but a lot of youngsters that will compete for opportunities. Hey, have you been beefing up on your French language production? You slid through that <laughs> Delorier beautifully. That was that was very smooth, partner. Congrats, man. Uh, I, I think, like you, the key to the fortunes here offensively lie in uh, the third line. Uh, I wonder particularly if Sam Steele and Troy Terry are ready to take a next step and threaten top six roles. Sonny Milano also key to uh, improving the fortunes here. They're looking at those three youngsters to take the next step and really push some of the veterans up front. Getzlaff, I wonder how much he has left in the tank. I'd be cautious about overrating him in terms of uh, the uh, DFS value that he might have or even in season-long pools, how many points he might be expected to score. He's been such a stalwart for these guys for a long time, but a little long in the tooth for me, and I think he's going to cede some playing time to the likes of Steele and Henrique in the middle of the ice this season. So uh, I I would be cautious about overrating Getzlaff looking at this team. We go on next to the Arizona Coyotes. This team has been very busy in the offseason. Another team that that has issues with cap compliance, and they're doing what they can to to deal with that. Uh, Tyler Pitlick, left winger. John Hayden, right winger. Dryden Hunt, left wing. Johan Larson at center. Freddie Gauthier with a PTO, uh, PTO situation. That's a uh, that deal where a team invites a player to a tryout before he signs a contract with the club. The same thing applies to Zane McIntyre, a goalie who's bounced around the American Hockey League, mostly in the Boston system. He's come over for look see in Arizona. And right now they're negotiating a one-year deal that we hear with Derek Broussard. Could be a possible reunion with longtime buddy uh, Phil Kessel offensively there. We'll get to those guys in a sec. But really, most of these names are tinkering around the bottom six uh, the top six uh, forwards and the top pairing defensemen seem to be all locked down. We'll get to those shortly as well. But, AJ, I need you to take us through our goalie mix here again. A couple of veterans here leading the leading the depth chart for Arizona. Well, yeah, the biggest question for Arizona is going to be the same thing it was last year, is the health of some of these guys. Now, I'm not worried about Darcy Kemper. Yeah, he missed some games last year due to injury. But really, it's anti-Ranta. I mean, since coming over... Uh, from the Rangers this guy has consistently missed a ton of time so is he going to be able to stay healthy enough to to challenge Darcy Kemper for for a spot here Um, I don't think so ultimately I I think Darcy Kemper will be their number one and I think even Aiden Hill could maybe play his way into some opportunities they're talking about expanded rosters and with the taxi squad thing 
it's possible that they, you know, give all three of these guys a few looks uh, during the season. Now, I think Kemper still probably takes the bulk of the workload, but I would uh, hazard to say it's probably closer to 50-55 for him. I don't see him, uh, you know, creeping up towards that that 60-65%, especially if they want to give Aiden Hill a few starts from time to time. Yeah, I'd be stashing Aiden Hill in the deep deeper leagues that I join, maybe dynasty leagues, because I think he's going to get a real shot here to take over the net mining situation from both of these veteran guys. But uh, I, I look for Kemper certainly to be the, the workhorse of this group uh, as the season starts, provided he can stay healthy. But don't sleep on Hill. I think he, he's could be a surprise contributor back here. On the back end, uh, it looks like familiar faces will dot the top four. Oliver ekman Larson was the subject of a lot of trade rumors, a lot of them linking him with Boston, but it looks now like Zidane Chara might re-sign with the Bruins, and that certainly has taken that discussion off the table, I think, for, for the near term anyway. OEL has been one of the league's leading scorers among defensemen for the last five years, and looks like, like he lines up as their power play quarterback once again, so he'll be the guy that gets the most points from this defense group, but I think Alex Goligoski is another guy who can threaten him uh, for that leader within the club I'll say he's no worse than the second uh, power play option in terms of quarterbacking a second unit there uh, Jacob Chikrin has shown flashes this guy has a very nice slapper from the point if he can tee it up with regularity he'll get his share of points too that's where the offense is going to come from the back end the rest of the guys are more defensive specialists uh, pairing with OEL on that first pairing is Jason Demers, a veteran guy who is one of the better defensive defensemen in the Western Conference. Same could be said for Nicholas Jalmerson, and Jordan Osterley has a bit of an offensive upside too. So it's a good mix of offensive capabilities and defensive capabilities. AJ, do you think there's anybody among the depth chart that can threaten these six guys for work, or is it pretty much locked in? I think it's pretty much locked in. I mean, maybe Jordan Gross, but but ultimately, I, I think these are the six-pack you'll see for, for the time being. Now, I will say, I will be a little surprised if Oliver ekman Larson is still on the team on April 13th, uh, the day after the trade deadline. So uh, I think they'll move him at some point here to get something, uh, you know, something out of him. But, but we'll see. Maybe uh, if they're in playoff contention, maybe they keep him around and, and make a run at it. But, again, I, I think I would be surprised to see him uh, still on the team after the deadline. Uh, in terms of the forward complement, you're looking at, again, pretty much the same first group here. Uh, Nick Schmaltz, Christian Dvorak, and Connor Garland, I think, make up that, that first uh, line. Um, well, they do have one big loss. Taylor Hall, obviously, would have been on that first line. It's qu- how quickly we forget about him when he leaves. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I think Nick Schmaltz takes over the, the left wing spot. It could be Clayton Keller as well. This is another group where I, I think the top six guys are, are, are those guys, right? I think they'll all be in there. But they might get shuffled around a bit. So right now we have Clayton Keller, Barrett Hayton, and Phil Kessel as the you know the second line there. But again, could be shuffled around. Broussard being added, you know maybe that's a spot for him. Broussard could get back to playing uh, a little bit of center here. Maybe he challenges Br- uh, Braden Hayden for that that second line center spot. So um, I think a lot of things are on the table. Uh, Rick Tockett will have a lot of work to do very quickly in limited training camp here to figure out what his line combinations are going to be. Larson Krauss, Johan Larson, and Christian Fisher uh, set to make up the third line. Then Tyler Pickett, uh, Pitlick, Michael Chapat, 
and uh, Drake Kajula will form the third line. But again, there's a couple guys you mentioned. Uh, Gauthier could be in the mix there if he you know, goes from PTO to full sign guy. I think Hudson Fashing is another player who could push for minutes. John Hayden as well. Uh, so a lot of uncertainty here in my, in my opinion. Um, but we'll, we'll see how it all shakes out for him. And, and like I said, Rick Tockett is going to be a busy, busy man. Yeah. Fans of the Coyotes have to be excited about what they've got going on at center ice. I'm, I'm hopeful that Christian Dvorak and Barrett Hayton can evolve into the players that they show they could be throughout their junior careers. Hayton for his part was the captain of team Canada's juniors a year ago. Uh, and, and, uh, Certainly, uh, a lot of ex- uh, is expected of him offensively. It gets a nice situation you know, the way it looks on paper, settling in between Clayton Keller and Phil Kessel, perhaps the two best snipers that the uh, Coyotes can ice on a nightly basis going forward. I'm a little unsure about Nick Schmaltz as the number one left winger. It could be the fact that they're waiting on Lawson Krauss to, to live up to his high expectations as a junior as well. He should be the guy that really, with his skill set, takes that position, but uh, hasn't materialized yet. So a placeholder situation for Smaltz, and he hopes to capitalize on that. And a partnership with Dvorak, if it's successful, could really help him. Connor Garland, a guy who is kind of like the Brendan Gallagher of this team, a guy who really sticks his nose in, has some offensive skills, and uh, shows up on the power play as a net front presence. So that's where he could have some value in terms of special teams contribution for the Coyotes. Up next, AJ, uh, we look at the Colorado Avalanche. This is a team that uh, a lot of people are thinking is going to go a long way in the, in the playoffs this season and maybe the class of this division. I don't want to tip my hand in terms of the final standings yet because there's a couple other teams that have a lot to say about that discussion. But in terms of off-season moves, Brandon Saad came in to play left wing on a top six situation. Devin Taves bolstering the top four of the blue line. Mika Salamaki, uh, a depth player at right wing, and Dennis Gilbert. Silver, similarly, a depth player on the defense. So they did some tinkering around the edges, but also some tinkering that should bolster their top nine offensive players up front and the top four on the blue line. Before we go there, as usual, we'll start with the goalies here. Yeah, if there's a team in this league that could do a 28-game, 28-game split, uh, it's definitely uh, Colorado. I think Philip Grubauer and Pablo Francouz should, uh, you know, fit in uh, pretty evenly here in terms of workload. Now, it'll be interesting to see what sort of deployments we see this year. Maybe, you know, Grubauer takes uh, the first two-game matchup against Arizona, and then Francis takes the next two games against Anaheim or something like that. So it'll be interesting to see if they play kind of that matchup or if they do some sort of every other. Um, But I would not be surprised to see these guys pretty much divide the nets right down the middle. Yeah, I like this pairing in the Nets, AJ. Uh, Young players so they can put their hopes on for a while. They didn't cost them a ton of money. They're paying them a combined $5 million, just over $5 million, one of the cheapest goalie tandems, but uh, no doubt one of the more steady ones. They're age 29 and age 30, respectively, Grubauer and Francis. So they can uh, hitch their cart to these guys for a little while yet going forward and feel pretty good about the situation. Neither one of them is ranked as a top 10 goalie in the league, in my opinion, but steady enough behind the talent that these guys will ice night in and night out. Uh, Part of that look is based on a a defense that is is looking a little bit stronger with the addition of Devin Taves. Uh, Ryan Graves and Kale McCarr are the number one pairing. McCarr, one of the top defensemen in the NHL in terms of scoring ability, he showed very well right out of the gate 
the first minute he stepped on the ice in the NHL, hasn't looked back. And really, behind this potent offense is one of the better power play quarterbacks that you can think about. In terms of the secondary option on the power play, I would look to a guy like uh, Samuel Girard or maybe a Ryan Graves to be that guy. Taves could even threaten that role. That's four guys that have a bit of an offensive upside in the top six defensemen. They're bolstered by the fact they have a couple of very good defensive defensemen, one of whom you're very familiar with, and Ian Cole. But Eric Johnson is a guy that I've always liked. He was once, I think, the first draft pick overall in his draft class. Not living up to that hype necessarily, but a very steady presence. And then if you're looking at youngsters to make the grade or make a step up, look out for Bowen Byram. I think this is a guy who could easily be another tremendous scoring option on the back end. He's got size, he's got skill, and uh, one of the many first-round draft picks that is featured by Team Canada in the current World Junior Hockey Championships. And uh, I look for big things for Byram uh, on this unit, AJ, and I wonder if he will threaten Ryan Graves for maybe a position in the top pairing alongside McCarr. Yeah, there's a ton of guys here, uh, up-and-comers, that are really good. I love the acquisition of Devin Taves uh, by them in the offseason. I thought that was a great move. Look, you mentioned Eric Johnson, maybe not living up to number one overall uh, billing. And and that may be true in hindsight, especially when you consider some of the guys that went after him, Jordan Stahl, Jonathan Taves, Nicholas Backstrom, Phil Kessel. Uh, you know, but then again, you look at, you know, some of the other D guys that went. There's not a lot of names here that, uh, you know, most of us are going to recognize off the bat that went in the first round. In fact, most of them I don't even recognize. A couple guys never played in the NHL at all. Um, so he definitely was the best defenseman in that class. No hands, uh, no question about it. Uh, so I really think uh, overall, this is a very strong group. Uh, as you said, a lot of offensive upside here. And, uh, you know, I I if there's a guy that could compete for more opportunities behind McCarr, I, I think Devin Taves is the one that'll slot in there. Uh, in terms of the forward compliment, you've got uh, the big guns set to, to show up on the first line here. And, and part of that is because they acquired Brandon Saad, they don't have to really spread out the scoring anymore. I, I don't think since they have him. So you'll have Gabriel Landeskog, Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen, the MGM line uh, back uh, together for much of the year. Hopefully they can avoid some injuries that that certainly cost them some time together last season. As I mentioned, Brandon Saad comes in left wing number two there with Nazem Kadri and Andre Burakovsky. Uh, you know, I think Kadri's solid as, as the number two center. I would not be shocked if that's a position they try and address heading into the, the trade deadline to maybe get somebody else in there, depending on available options. Um, and Burakovsky will uh, certainly start the season, I think, in that spot, but he'll face challenges from a guy like Jonas Donskoy, uh, who slots into the third line alongside JT Comfer and Tyson Yost. Uh, again, I, I really like that group uh, for what they are in terms of the third line. Yost obviously is not going anywhere near the top six, given Landeskog and Saad ahead of him. From there, uh, right now, it looks like it'll be a, a veteran fourth line and, and Matt Calvert, Pierre-Edouard Belmar, and Valeri Nushkin. Uh, but again, there's some guys like a, a Kiefer she- uh, Sherwood, TJ Tynan, uh, Shane Bowers even that could challenge for, for opportunities there. Um, but overall, I, I think this uh, is a pretty solid 12-pack all around. Not a ton of deficiencies. Like I said, maybe a, a true second-line center 
um, to add some more, a little more scoring touch than, than Nazem Kadri could be something they look at, but I don't know if they need it depending on what they'd have to give up. Geez, you're underselling Nazem Kadri. As a former Leaf, I feel compelled to defend him a little bit, AJ. <laughs> he, he slots in as the net front presence on the first power play unit, and he looked very good there at times last season. And I think, again, he's got the luxury of being partnered with two guys who can score. And like him, uh, Brendan Saad has quite a bit of bite to his game. So I really like that second line. A uh, few minute mentions of the first line. It'd be nice to see this group stay healthy all season long. I know Nate McKinnon is one of the guys that a lot of people think could be the leading scorer in this league he would be helped immensely if Miko Rantanen and Gabriel Landeskog can compete for at least 50 of the 56 games on the schedule to make this one of the top units in the NHL once again but they do have options down the line if Tyson Yost they're ready to see this guy take the next step been waiting on him for a couple of years to do that if he makes that next step maybe Nazem Kadri's role is threatened a little bit JT Comfer won't threaten it I don't I don't believe Jonas Donskoy is another guy who's played top six minutes here. Same as Valeri Nichushkin. Nichushkin is listed as a fourth line winger here. If he lasts in that role all season long, I'll be very surprised because he showed flashes of being an offensive contributor here and with his size and skill should be ranked higher than a fourth line winger. But really, uh, he's had more downs and ups in his career and that's why he's there legitimately. Same can be said for Pierre-Edouard Belmer. I look for bigger things from here and look at these guys are listed as fourth line players. That should tell you they have a ton of depth here and a lot of injury and insurance should a couple of their top six guys go down of course the one guy they can ill afford to lose for any time is Nate McKinnon I do think he's going to be no worse than the third leading scorer in the league this year AJ in terms of our next team, we're looking at the Los Angeles Kings. They had a very quiet offseason, but uh, made a little bit of noise in the last couple of days. First of all, uh, notable to you uh, as a former Penn, Oli Mata makes the, the jump to the left coast from the Pittsburgh t- situation and will play with the Kings this year, upgrading, they hope, their top four. Troy Grosnick, a guy who's bounced around a little bit in the AHL, is a depth option in the Nets, but the biggest signing that they made, Kat King, yesterday with the addition of Andreas Athanasiu. I think this guy is an uber-skilled player who just hasn't really found his niche yet in the Detroit situation. He escaped that troubled group. Maybe the fact that they were floundering had a lot to do with his lack of success, but he's going to get lots of opportunity in L.A., surrounded by some veteran presence, and I think it will be really good for him, and he looks to be getting a shot at the second-line center, a good spot for him to make his debut in uh, in Hollywood. But uh, before we look at the rest of this team, AJ, uh, again, a veteran goalie in the Nets looking to to extend his career. He's well-decorated. Jonathan Quick, why don't you tell me about him and his backup this season? Yeah, Quick uh, is is going to be the guy here. And, and again, I, I think he probably is looking at, you know, 60 to 65 percent of starts here. Um, he'll, you know, really take the, the bulk of the workload, possibly even 70 percent. Just And this is not a knock on the other guys that they have. But Jonathan Quick's just that kind of player that, that wants um, more games, more opportunities. So I, I would expect him to carry a bit of a heavier uh, workload in, in terms of, you know, overall, uh, as far as the backup goes, look, Cal Patterson is the guy that's projected to come on and take the number two role and take that next step. But don't sleep on Troy Grosnick. This, uh, this is a guy who had, you know, solid numbers the last several years playing in the AHL last season, uh, went 29 and five 
uh, in 33 appearances, a .920 save percentage. And look, I'm going to give him a little extra love because he's from my hometown, Brookfield, Wisconsin, uh, native uh, son of ours there. But uh, I I definitely think he'll at least push Cal Pedersen for, for the number two role. Um, he's a little bit older, obviously he's not going to be the heir apparent here to, to Jonathan quick. So that could factor into their decisions on, on what to do there. Um, so overall, yeah, I think, I think Grossnick uh, competes, but quick will see the bulk of the workload. Yeah, no doubt about that. Jonathan quick, uh, is one of the leaders of this club still. He's on the books for another couple of years at $5.8 million. You'd like to see them shed that at some point, but really, I think until somebody closes the distance between him and, and the rest of the guys on the depth chart, he'll be the go-to guy in L.A. for quite some time, at least this season and possibly beyond until next year. Uh, the, the guys that are going to stand in front of him this, this year might be the weakest defensive group in this division, A.J., and that's with a guy who ranks... For the last 10 years, one of the top defensemen in hockey, Drew Doughty, still playing in the lion's share of, of the power play quarterback role and a lot of key minutes that he eats up on a nightly basis. He loves life in L.A. He had a chance to leave a couple of years ago, but instead so decided to lock himself down there long term. So he'll be there for a while. And uh, he hopes that he has a good new running mate in Oli Mata, who has some offensive upside. That could be a pretty dynamic first pairing. But beyond that, uh, I don't think there's any fantasy value at all in the rest of the six-pack here that they're offering. Mikey Anderson and Matt Roy on the second pairing, Curtis McDermott and Sean Walker on the third pairing. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't see an offensive upside in any of those four. So it's Mata and Doughty carrying the mail for the Kings this season, in my opinion. Well, the only guy I would maybe mention is is Sean Walker. Now, I'm talking deeper formats, right? If you're in a 10-team redraft league, like, probably don't pick up Sean Walker, right? <laughs> uh, unless you're playing some sort of weird setting where you've got, like, six defensemen or something. But 24 points in 70 games last year, five uh, power play assists. So he's getting some opportunities there, limited, but but some. So I think he could be a guy maybe to consider. And, look, you mentioned Olimata, Paul. Uh, he obviously was so uh, like absent that you completely forgot he spent last year in Chicago. Oh, true. Like you mentioned they added him from Pittsburgh. I was like, nope, he's been gone for a year, and that just <laughs> speaks to you know how little he did there. Um, so I don't think he's the answer. I would be shocked if he lasts more than ten games as as the left defenseman to play with Drew Doughty. If you want Doughty jumping up into the play offensively minded you need a guy a little more d uh uh, d-centric and you also need a guy who's a little more fleet of foot who's going to be able to get back and cover for you and that is just not only Mata's game uh if he did have speed at one point that certainly has not been shown the last couple years so for me uh i i think they're going to be to your point paul this is probably one of the weakest d groups in in the league right now and uh, that is, as you said, despite having a, a beast like Drew Doughty on that, that back end. You know what? Let me interject. I only said Mata was a graduate of Pittsburgh and that system. I, I knew he played <laughs> with the Hawks last year. But I got to get in a, a mention of every Penguin guy just because I know that you know this team so well and, and the players that came <laughs> through. So that was the situation there. But tell us what you think about the forward grouping here, AJ. Yeah, it's, uh, there's definitely some things to be intrigued about um, from, from that standpoint. Ultimately, I, I think this is still a long-term project here. You're not going to see these guys um, 
you know, producing uh, a lot of wins, I don't think right off the gate, but there's plenty of options, uh, especially if you are in a, you know, a dynasty format um, that I'll, I'll mention some of those guys, but in terms of what deployment looks like right now, uh, Alex, you follow Anze Kopitar and Dustin Brown make out that first line. I think they're really capable of producing. I also wouldn't be surprised to see them periodically move AA to the wing if they need a little bit more scoring. Uh, maybe, you know, if Iofalo or Brown is, is slumping at all and they want to try and get something going, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see AA move uh, to a left wing or a right wing spot periodically. Right now we have them penciled in, and I stress penciled in at this point since the signing just happened yesterday as the second line center. Uh, Jeff Carter on, on the wing there with Martin Furk. Um, there's not a lot to love about that line, if I'm being totally honest. Carter uh, is getting, to use your parlance, Paul, a little long in the tooth there. So I, I think there's um, you know some room for improvement here. Martin Furk could take a, a, a step forward here. Uh, really has not shown much since his, his rookie campaign. 25 points in 68 games back in 2017. Since then, he has a combined 14 points uh, in, in 47 games over the last two years. So he really needs to take a step forward if he's going to fill that spot. Uh, Austin Wagner, uh, Gabriel Velarde is one of those dynasty players, dealt with some back issues that really delayed his NHL opportunities. But we've got him again slotted in potentially as the third line center here on uh, Adrian Kempe on the other right wing, Michael Amato uh, for the fourth line left wing. And then here's where things get interesting. They've got Alex Turcott, uh, who could be the fourth line, uh, fourth line center, or even push for more. He was the fifth overall pick in the 2019 NHL draft. I'll just throw one of these out there, Paul, on Wisconsin for the the former Badger there, Alex Turcott. Um, you know, I, I think he could push for a bigger role. Blake Lazat uh, obviously got some ap- opportunities last season. He's in the mix, and even a guy like Matt Luff. So there there are some things to like. Uh, if I'm in a dynasty format and I see Velarde, Turcott, or Lazat is available, I definitely think you might want to consider stashing those guys away for the future. Trevor Moore rounds out your fourth line group here yeah i like your mention of some of the guys that are currently listed as bottom six types here they have an opportunity in a rebuild that's ongoing to to get better roles you wonder when dustin brown will see the first line right wing for instance or anze kopitar the first line center he's not going anywhere soon but uh, those two guys make me take a look at alex iofalo as a guy who could be an interesting pick in a season-long leagues he had a, a nice season last year upwards upwards of 40 points if i recall correctly and could take a step up in terms of point production per game higher than that rate with par- partnered with those two in another year of experience under his belt you mentioned jeff carter this guy is a, a goal scorer's goal scorer when healthy but he's been uh, spending too many stints on the I- ir or just injured short term it seems a lot of the time the last couple of years diminishing his value but if he's healthy i like the fu- the fit with that he might have with a guy like athanasio a uh, very skilled guy uh, who if he lives up to his abilities and 
plays with a healthy Jeff Carter, those guys can have a nice partnership. And that might bode well for Martin Furk, who so far in his NHL career, the, the claim to fame is not even at the NHL level. It's the fact that he was the hardest shot winner in the uh, AHL All-Star game a couple of seasons ago. That's what I think about when I see this guy's name. Certainly, you mentioned the, the numbers uh, that he's posted as a pro. Uh, certainly uninspiring, and, and he should be threatened by a guy like Adrian Kempe, who had a bit of a step up last year and reached a 30-point plateau. He could also improve on those numbers if uh, the career trajectory continues uh, to grow the way that it did last year. But uh, the real surprises could be among those bottom 12, uh, bottom 6 guys rather, that they will threaten to play uh, regularly and move up on, on that tw- in that 12-pack. And that's what I'm looking for from the likes of Turcotte, Moore, and Lazat particularly in my estimation. But uh, I expect it to be a very long year in Hollywood. In Minnesota, there are a host of new faces here, and a couple of them that really should excite the hometown fans. Cam Talbot solidifying the goalie situation uh, signed in there in the offseason. Kirill Kaprizov, who was leading scorer in the KHL in terms of goal scoring with 33 and 57 games, should juice this offense and get a top six opportunity there. Ditto for Marcus Johansson, who moves over in free agency. Nick Bonino is another guy that you know a little bit about from his time in Pittsburgh. Slots in as a depth center. Uh, should somebody get injured in the top six, though, a viable option there. Nick Bustag, another guy that's come through the Pittsburgh situation without much success. We'll hope to rejuvenate his career, ignite his career as a right winger. Dakota Mermis, uh, the only upgrade that I see among the defensemen that were there, uh, weren't there last season. But uh, AJ, I like the Talbot, Talbot, Cam Talbot edition. What does that mean to the goalie mix here in Minnesota? Well, I think the theme for uh, Minnesota, and, and I'll talk about this as we go throughout the, the lineup here, is uh, question marks. What are they getting? I think it is the big question here. And so what are they getting in terms of Cam Talbot? Are they getting the Cam Talbot who played 73 games for Edmonton, racked up 40 wins? Or are they getting the Cam Talbot who struggled the last couple of seasons um, and, and really hasn't produced anywhere near that level of success in the last two years? So um, that's a big question. Uh, what are they getting from Capo Kakinen? Is he, uh, is he the real deal? Uh, you know, his, his limited NHL opportunities last year, played just five games, did decent, five, uh, three one and one point nine one three save percentage in those outings had some real uh, a real good record with AHL Iowa last season. So, again, can he bring his game uh, up to the NHL level? I would expect uh, from the onset you're going to have Talbot taking the bulk of the workload, um, but he'll be on a short leash, and, and they ultimately want to see what they have in terms of the future here in, in Kakernan. So I wouldn't be shocked to see 55-45 uh, about the split here. Yeah, for me, though, this is a DFS look at this. I wouldn't touch either of these guys when they're playing the top three teams in this division. It's pretty clear to me who they're going to be. But if you got a chance to play them against the bottom three, they have a chance to win any of those nights because there's a real divide between the top three and the bottom four in this division. I think Minnesota slots in as maybe the best of the bottom four. So that's where the value might come in in terms of playing Talbot and Staylock in those situations, but otherwise be very wary of them. You mentioned that Talbot is a guy who has been around the league for a while, age 33 season. He signed a three-year deal at $3.6 million per year. Staylock is a guy who who threatened for more playing time, and he's on a very cheap contract of 785000 
But the wild card for me is what is this import uh, Capo Kakinen all about? He is an ent- on his entry-level deal, only age 24. They need to get younger in the Nets, and if they can find something in him, maybe that's part of the transition here that will help this team threaten the top three teams in this division, but I don't think it's happening this season. On the blue line here, it's a six-pack of guys. This could be a team that actually is one of the few that protects four defensemen ahead of the Seattle draft next season. That's how good the defense is relative to the offense uh, that we find in the top uh, of forwards. But Jared Spurgeon, Ryan Soder, Matt Dumba, and Jonas Brodeen, a pretty solid quartet, none of whom is making any less than $4 million a year. And at the high end, Spurgeon, $7.5 million per year for the next six years, it looks like. So a lot of money spent on the back end, and there's a reason why. It's pretty good quality here at the top of the roster. Carson Soucy and Greg Patron rounded out. They've had uh, some degree of success in terms of regular playing time from time to time, but they won't threaten the top six here. All four of these guys that I mentioned are really good picks if you're looking for point-scoring defensemen in the NHL. That's what I think of this unit. Yeah, absolutely. The top four are are solid and locked in, you know, barring injury. There's not going to be anybody that pushes those guys uh, for minutes or, or challenges for opportunities. The, the question for me in this group is uh, can Dakota Mermis bring uh, his game to, to the NHL level? You know, in his time with the Arizona, Arizona Coyotes, he only saw 10 games with them over two years. Last year with the Devils, he played in 10 games as well. Um, but the numbers, when you look at the minors, are really solid. Um, with Bin, uh, Binghamton last year, had 19 points in 53 games, 24 points in 62 games the year before that with Tucson. And so this is a guy that's shown flashes of, of talent, um, you know, went undrafted uh, coming out of the OHL and, and has really pushed for more and more opportunities. And the question for me is, can he continue to do so and challenge a guy like Carson Salci or even Brad Hunt um, for bottom pairing minutes? But there's no way anybody's uh, affecting this top four. That's for sure. The questions definitely carry forward uh, into the, the, the forward grouping. And I'll start with uh, Kirill Kaprasov. Again, can he transition that KHL game to the NHL game? Plenty of guys have done it very successfully, but plenty of guys have been flops as well when they try and play on the smaller sheet of ice um, and and different different looks in that sense. Uh, what are they going to do at center? That's the other question. Right now, Marcus Johansson penciled in as the first-line center. I don't know if that's the best usage of, of his tools there. I think Joel uh, Erickson-Eck, or, you know, could push for more opportunities, and that would move Nick Benino up if they move Johansson to the wing. The other issue they have right now is Matt Zuccarello is going to miss the first month of the season here. Uh, so what do they get out of him when he comes back? Kevin Fiala fits in as the replacement on the top uh, right wing there with him out. The second line, I, I mentioned uh, Erickson Eck will be the center right now. Zach Parisi on the left. Nick Bukestad right now on the right. He's also capable of playing center, so do they move him over? Are they getting the Nick Bukestad pre-injury like Florida Nick Bukestad or the injury-plagued Pittsburgh Nick Bukestad? That's another question that this team has to answer. Third line looks like Jordan Greenway on the left, Nick Benino in the middle. I think that's a solid addition. Uh, I think this team will be challenged if they are going to try and use Nick Benino as a, a top-six center. I think he slots in perfectly as a third line center. And if they have to move him up because they want to move Johansson to the wing, I think that's going to be a problem for them long-term. 
Ryan Hartman on the right wing. Again, everybody's kind of playing up a line with Matt Zuccarello hurt on that right-hand side. Marcus Foligno uh, on the left wing, fourth line. Victor Rask is the fourth line center. And then Nico Sturm gets the opportunity, I think, to join the, the roster. Uh, although Luke Johnson could also uh, contend for that or, or Gerald Mayhew uh, could compete for that spot as well. You know what? It's going to be incumbent on fantasy pool players to be looking at the rotowire depth chart on a daily basis. I really don't like the look of this team in the middle of the ice. Marcus Johansson is not a centerman. He's a winger uh, most of the time and and I I really think he's miscast as the number one center they certainly will miss the fact that they don't have Eric Stahl or Miko Koivu in the younger days who were manning the one and two positions here for the last several years it's quite a difference to look at it and see Johansson at the first line spot Joel Erickson X Eck could be the guy that moves up and in class and, and really gets a shot to thrive here. I think that's where they pin their hopes at center ice. I agree with you. Nick Bonino is probably best cast as the third-line center. Victor Rask has been a real big disappointment for me. I thought this guy had all the tools to do what uh, what uh, Alex Barkoff did in Florida, but uh, things really haven't panned out for Rask. That's how high I, I had for expect, my expectations for him. He might be a guy who moves up in class here, but he has to show me something before I can really pin any hopes on him. In terms of the rest of the players, there's real hope on the wings, folks. Kevin Fiala had a breakout campaign last season, and along with Matt Zuccarello when healthy, that's a very dynamic-looking right wing uh, in terms of the first two positions. Nick Bukestad has to get his act together to uh, continue to extend his career. Otherwise, it's lights out for me. This is last chance saloon, as I like to say from time to time when a guy is looking at a maybe the last opportunity to make good in the NHL. On the left side, Kirill Kaprasov, I wonder what this guy's going to show in the NHL. I already mentioned he was the leading sniper in the KHL. We'll see how it translate, translates into the North American style of play. Zach Parise is a guy who has uh, under-delivered in terms of my expectations for him, but is a very viable option. He'll be a key to their power play success as well from the left side of the ice. In terms of the next team, we're looking at the San Jose Sharks. Look, at uh, we've already panned a couple of the California-based teams. This will be the third team, maybe the best of the West Coast clubs in, in Cali. And uh, the new faces that they added, well, one was an old face that maybe is one of the signature players in franchise history. That's Patrick Marlowe. And uh, the watch will be on to see if he plays enough games to uh, supplant Gordie Howe in the all-time games played list. But that might be one of the highlights of this season, just to see how many times Patrick suits up. Devin Dubnik is over in, in goal. He was a steady guy in previous stops elsewhere. They're hoping that he threatens... Uh, the goaltending situation there for more playing time. Ryan Donato, a guy who was once thought to be a possible possible prolific scorer in other circumstances, gets a chance to to revitalize himself and maybe make himself a, a top six option here. Matt Nieto, Curtis Gabriel, these guys are depth players that they added. Uh, what do you think about the goalie situation here now with Jones and Dubnik in the Nets, AJ? Well, I think entering camp... If you had to pick a guy to be the number one, I think it's still Marty Jones in San Jose, which is uh, astonishing to say after last year. But uh, I would not be surprised if that flips during training camp or at some point during the season. Um, you know, they thought they had a decent up and comer in, in Aaron Dell. He flopped at, at the same rate as Marty Jones last year. So they went out, they got Devin Dubnik, and I think he'll compete very early and very quickly 
um, for, for the number one job here could be close to a 50, 50 split here as well, depending on how they perform. Um, but I, I think this is an open battle. I think if, if Marty Jones goes into the year and plays the way he's shown at, at points in his career, he could go towards 65% of starts, but the same could be said of Dubnik. If, if Jones really struggles and Dubnik comes in and is on his game, uh, same thing. So uh, really no certainty here, in my opinion, on, on the, the back end. Yeah, you're right about your analysis. They certainly paid a lot of money to Martin Jones. It looked like earlier on in his career he was going to be uh, positioned to, to compete for a top 10 status in the league among goalies around the loop, but uh, hard-pressed to even put him in the top 20 right now, and that's a lot to be paying $5.75 million per season for the next three years, even after this one. He's entering his age 30 campaign, so you got to think he's still in the prime of, of his career at the moment, and he's going to be challenged to uh, find his form from a couple of years ago to earn that salary or make them feel better about spending that kind of money on him. In front of him, you've got two of the highest scoring defensemen in hockey uh, over the last five, six years. That's Eric Carlson and Brett Burns. you got to think, though, that uh, Carlson, age 30 with some injury issues, and Brett Burns at age 35 may be on the downside of their careers, and they're paying almost $20 million for that pairing, AJ, so they got to get value out of them. And for this year, at least, it looks like to me they'll still be the offensive threats. Uh, Mark Edward Vlasic is kind of a B option offensively, and maybe a, a solid second pairing, one of the better defensive defensemen in the league too. Mario Ferraro is a guy who uh, took a step up in class and will play a little bit bigger role, I think, going forward. Radim Simek and Jacob Middleton round out the top six that I see, but uh, certainly the offensive mail will be carried by Carlson and Burns here. Yeah, that'll be uh, you know the big thing that they, they need. They need Carlson to rebound from last season when he had um, some injury concerns. Now it's interesting to talk about a guy rebounding uh, when he did hit the 40-point mark for, for you know the looks like the eighth straight year, seventh straight year. Um, but this is a guy that previously was putting up 70, 80 points. So, um, you know, obviously a, a somewhat disappointing campaign for him. A bit of a concern in the plus-minus category that he was a minus 15 last year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what uh, what sort of bounce back he has and, and if he can get back to being uh, a Norris Trophy contender here. In terms of the forward complement, you've got Evander Kane on the left wing, Logan Couture at center, and Timo Meyer on the right wing for the first line. I think all three of those guys are pretty secure in their spots here. I don't see a whole lot of challenges um, for any of those three guys, I think if, you know, if Kane gets moved off the first line, it's as a, you know, uh, strategy thing to move him uh, to spread out the scoring here. I don't think it's necessarily a, a knock on him or that somebody else is producing at a better level than him. So that would be the first line as I see it. Uh, Ryan Donato set for second line left wing, but you met, you mentioned some of his uh, disappointment or, or lack of uh, you know, producing to those levels. So he's certainly on thin ice there. Tomas Hurdles centers that group with Kevin LeBanc on the right wing. I think maybe LeBanc would be the only guy that could push for more opportunities. But I think rather than breaking up that first line, you'll see him just slot into that first power play unit. And, and that'll be how they get him more opportunities. Third line right now has Patrick Marlowe on the left wing. Though I think uh, a center spot for him is, is certainly possible as well. Uh, Dylan Gambrell uh, as the third line center and Marcus Sorensen on the right wing. 
this is pretty fluid. I think the only one of these guys that should feel like they're in the correct line and, and don't have to worry about too many challenges is Patrick Marlowe um, for, for his spot here. But anybody else, I think, will face challenges from the rest of the lineup. Matt Nieto, Anti uh, Sumela, and Stefan Nosen round out the fourth line, although uh, I think a guy like Noah Ga- uh, Gregor, G- Curtis Gabriel, could challenge for more opportunities there as well. Yeah, Stefan Noison had seven goals in 40 games played last year. That tells me he has a bit of an offensive side to his game and might threaten to move up in class. They need somebody to take that step up, though, I think, to uh, to push the others here. Otherwise, complacency could set in. Uh, up front, the, on the top line, I, I'm keeping an eye on Timo Meyer. I like the fact that he's maybe the forgotten piece when you consider Kane and Couture are the signature pieces of this offense. Certainly Thomas Hurdle, uh, a third player that factors into that uh, grouping and those three guys will be key to the power play situation. Hurdle, before he got hurt, was on his way to a, a career best season last year too. So don't uh, underestimate him. He could be a sneaky good value pick in uh, your season long pools going forward. In the next club we're going to look at, we're going to get to the heavyweights in this division who will threaten Colorado. Let's make no bones about it. This is a three-team race in my estimation. I don't think you'll disagree, AJ. So we'll look now at the St. Louis Blues. They made a whole bunch of moves in the offseason and maybe making one in the next couple of days if a PTO turns out okay for Mike Hoffman. That was a real surprise move in my estimation because this guy is uh, – should have been signed by now uh, by some club in the NHL that was willing to throw three, four million dollars at him. I think that's what it's going to take to sign him. St. Louis has the flexibility to do that now with their LTIR situation coming, uh, becoming a little bit clearer. Tarasenko being moved in that in that direction. But uh, the additions they made include Kyle Clifford bolstering the depth on the th- left wing with some toughness. Tory Krug, maybe the signature addition of all, uh, to replace Alex Petrangelo on the blue line. Steve Santini, a depth piece there. And John Gillies, maybe a depth piece in the nets. Curtis McKenzie, a left winger who's going to be a top, a bottom six player, no question. Uh, rounds out the grouping here. But uh, the key for me will be to see how this PTO turns out for Mike Hoffman to really give some... Uh, uh, some sense for how the offense looks uh, as we get into the season. But before we look at the offense, you're going to take me through the goalie situation again, uh, AJ. What well, starts and stops with Jordan Bennington, absolutely, especially with the departure of Jake Allen. Um, they have Billy Huso and, and John Gillies uh, to potentially battle out for that number two spot. But Jordan Bennington, I would expect, takes upwards of 70 maybe 75% of the starts here. I I think he'll face a pretty heavy workload just because uh, I don't see either of the other two options as being particularly viable for them, especially when you're talking about competing against some of the top teams in the league. Now, depending on how the schedule works out, maybe do you give one or, or, you know, give Bennington a couple nights off and you let Huso and Gillies like split a two game set against you know, San Jose or, or Anaheim or, or LA or something, maybe, maybe that's how they give Bennington some rest opportunities, but I don't think you're throwing Billy Huso out against Vegas or Colorado at any point this season. So there's, you know, there's 16 starts for Bennington right off the bat. So um, yeah, it'll, it'll be Jordan or bust for them. That's for sure. 
And you know what? I, I have been a big fan of this guy. He's a local product in the town where I live in Richmond Hill, Ontario. And there's signs up here on the borders, uh, home of Stanley Cup champion Jordan Bennington. He, his numbers crept up in the wrong direction last season, AJ. His goals against was 2.56. That's higher than the first two campaigns in his young career. I look for him to have a bit of a bounce-back campaign, but I'm wondering about the usage, and a guy like Billy Uso is going to have to come through in spades in his opportunities. Otherwise, maybe St. Louis drops a little, uh, drops a notch in this division. But uh, certainly, all eyes will be on Bennington to be the, the DFS value play uh, when St. Louis suits up. And maybe in your season longs, he should be one of the first goalies to go if he does get the lion's share of the workload, as you suggest. Protect him, him up front. He'll be, will be without Alex Petrangelo. The heart and soul of this team uh, and the captain is gone. He was replaced by Tory Krug, a guy who has played exclusively in Boston throughout his career but has been injury-plagued. When he's healthy, this guy's one of the best point-per-game producers among NHL defensemen, but the key is he's been struggling with injury issues for the last couple of seasons, and uh, St. Louis has to hope that his health takes a turn for the better. Otherwise, they will be uh, seeing a drop in productivity from the blue line as a whole with with, uh, his production missing. They're counting a big time on Justin Falk to live up to the contract that he signed that kind of pushed uh, Pietrangelo out the door. I guess fans are ruining that day right now, but Falk is a guy who has been a power play quarterback in the past, so two viable options to run the offense from the back end, maybe even three when you consider Colton Pareko, his big size and uh, and skill caused him to be in a lot of rumor talk in the offseason, but St. Louis fans have to be happy that he's still in the mix here. That's three outstanding offensive uh, possibilities on the back end for my money. Mario Sc- Marco Scandella is uh, kind of a B option offensively, but a pretty good defensive defenseman and a nice pairing there with Pareko on the second unit. Vince Dunn is another guy who is underrated here and has some offensive upside to his game and could see some time on the power play to boost his numbers. That's five guys that can contribute offensively among the six back. Robert Bertuzzo is a a tough nut uh, on the back end and solidifies that third pairing. Uh, They added some depth and Steve Santini should injuries crop up. Nico Mikola, an interesting prospect as well. So I really like the depth here on the blue line and I haven't even mentioned the fact that have Carl Gunnarsson, who is nicked up a little bit at the moment, but should threaten easily for a top six when he's healthy. So no fewer than nine quality uh, defensemen to choose from when you're putting together a, a unit on the back end, and that's got to make Huso and Vinnington smile, AJ. Absolutely. Now, you know, Tory Krug is not going to replace the production of Alex Petrangelo. That's just not if, – if St. Louis fans have that expectation, you are going to be disappointed. But uh, he's a decent uh, fill-in fill uh, for that. You know, it's, it's hard to replace a guy like Petrangelo. It's impossible to replace a guy like Petrangelo. But you look at Krug, consistently has been uh, right around, you know, this past season. If, if he had played maybe one more game, he would have hit – the 50 point mark for the fourth straight year. That's uh, you know, certainly quality production from your back end. You did mention the injury concerns uh, and that's totally valid. Um, but I think this guy is capable of being, you know, in, in a regular season, uh, you know, capable of producing around the 50 point mark. I would expect him to maybe challenge for 40 uh, this, this year in the, in the abridged season. So certainly uh, decent production out of him in terms of the forward compliment. 
Uh, look, you mentioned the PTO with Mike Hoffman. I think this is all just like a technical constraint. They get him on the PTO until they can figure out exactly what LTIR looks like for Tarasenko. Um, and, and they can have him start practicing with the team now while he's on that tryout. But I think for all intents and purposes, it looks like it'll be a one year around three and a half to four and a half million dollar contract for Hoffman. So um, basically signed, albeit not technically, I suppose another team could come in at this point and offer him something outrageous uh, and snipe him away from St. Louis. That's technically a possibility, but I expect he will sign with them. And as a result, he figures to slot in as that first line left winger uh, to really, uh, you know, it, once they get Tarasenko back, talk about a top line that has some scoring potential of Hoffman, Ryan O'Reilly, and Tarasenko on, on a first group. That's a pretty dangerous uh, trio there. For now, it looks like David Perron will slot in a, as that right winger. Uh, you got a couple of big snipers there. The only downside is Ryan O'Reilly's numbers could take a bit of a hit because he's going to have to do a lot of work, I think, to get Hoffman and, and David Perron the puck um, so maybe his goal numbers drop a little bit with that combination, but certainly uh, could rack up plenty of assists. The second line's looking like Jaden Schwartz, Robert Thomas, uh, continuing to move up, continuing to improve, and Braden Shen on the right wing. Third, uh, you're looking at Zach Sanford, Tyler Bozak centering that line, and Sammy Blay. I, I like that combination of, of some up-and-comers with an established guy like Bozak who can really – uh, kind of drive this line. Kyle Clifford, Oscar Sundquist, and uh, Ivan Barbashev round out the fourth line right now. But again, you've got a guy, guys like uh, Jacob De La Rose who could challenge Jordan Cairo. And again, all this gets shuffled around once they get Tarasenko back. Uh, unfortunately, they will have to fill uh, the loss of Alexander Steen, who was forced to retire due to back injuries. But I think they've done that by signing Mike Hoffman here. Yeah, I like the fact that Hoffman will be playing with a guy who's one of the better puck distributors in the NHL and Ryan O'Reilly. I've been waiting for this opportunity for Hoffman uh, for a couple of years now. I thought he was going to get that look in, in previous stops, but to, he's almost guaranteed to get it now with St. Louis and should threaten uh, a 30-goal scoring pace in a normal year. It might drop it down to around 20 this season in the strike in the. Uh, shortened season that we're facing at 56 games played Perron also uh, one of the top point producers per game that St. Louis offers so a really dynamic looking top unit as I said all focused around Ryan O'Reilly's ability to move the puck around the second line I think you're going to flip-flop Shen and Thomas for uh, Shen played a lot more center ice than, than Thomas did last year if I recall correctly so I think semantically you're going to be looking at Shen as the center there and uh, Thomas on the right wing Jaden Schwartz another guy who gets regular duty on the par- first power play unit so they've got a really good look among the top six and uh, veteran Tyler Bozak and Sammy Blay and Zach Sanford a credible third line and then you've got a lot of depth options here who will be really good injury insurance types Kyle Clifford can play third line minutes Oscar Sundquist has moved up and played even the top six minutes in the past Ivan Barbashev same for him so real good injury insurance and uh, we haven't even talked about uh, 
well, I haven't mentioned Mackenzie McEachern in addition to Delarose and Cairo that you mentioned. So that's going five lines deep uh, to show you they've got a wealth of options offensively in St. Louis, but certainly they're going to still miss Tarasenko. And uh, if you were planning on using him in the regular season, it's already been declared he's out for the entire regular season campaign. We wind up our look at this division by the Vegas Golden Knights and their moves in the offseason. Of course, the big prize was Alex Pietrangelo. They plucked him off the free agency list and signed him to a big deal. Carl Dahlstrom, uh, depth defenseman. Dylan Sakura, a depth forward. Danny O'Regan, depth center. Thomas Yurko, a veteran right winger who should be good insurance for the top six on the right side, particularly and uh, Carl uh, Carl Dahlstrom, I mentioned him already on the black end, so he got two mentions here. He should be happy. <laughs> AJ, the Vegas Knights and the Nets, they spent a lot of money on the pairing that they're going to be icing this year. Well, I mean, obviously, uh, I have my thoughts and feelings as I sport my Golden Knights uh, Marc-Andre Fleury jersey here. Got the, t- the old 29 on here. So I think Fleury should be the starter. That's very clearly where, where my heart lies. But uh, obviously, they are paying Robin Leonard to take over as the, the kind of future um, for Flurry. But you're right. It's a lot of money. It's about $12.5 million, uh, to pay these two guys. And so uh, I would imagine maybe some sort of, of, of share in, in the nets here. Um, but that doesn't seem to necessarily be Peter DeBoer's M.O. He is not tied to Marc-Andre Fleury. That was very clear uh, last year. And so, I don't know, maybe DeBoer's willing to pay a guy $7 million to sit on the bench. Wouldn't necessarily be the choice I made if I were the head coach, but um, we'll, we'll see how that all pans out. Uh, so as far as workload uh, projections, I mean, I, I would expect closer to 50-50, but based on what they did in the postseason, looks like DeBoer might be willing to give Robin Leonard closer to 60-65% of the workload um, and not really worry about having to, to sit Marc-Andre Fleury as the backup. But, um, yeah, not the choice I would make, but I, I'm trying my best to not let my, my personal feelings uh, come through on this one because, uh, you know, the, flowers, the flower is my guy there. Uh, so, yeah, I'll let you take us through the back end then, Paul. Well, you know what? I've got a comment here. Maybe it's a function of the 56-game schedule being condensed as it is. This could be a real strength of this team, that they're going to be icing a number one goalie every single night. Not a lot of teams in the league can say that. So I think the goalie split could be a little more even than most people, including yourself, might suggest. I'm going to say it's 55-45, Leonard getting the larger share of the workload, but only slightly. There are going to be a lot of back-to-backs here, and there's no problem for me seeing that situation unfold. Uh, and Marc-Andre Fleury, always happy by nature, should be happier than he might have been in a, going into an 82-game schedule. He'll be getting almost half of the work here, at least for this season, and they can punt the fact that they don't need to deal him this season and maybe take advantage of the fact that they're playing this condensed schedule with such a nice quality tandem in the nets. And they'll be well protected in, in front of uh, the crease this year with a very solid and deep defense. Braden McNabb partnering with Alex Petrangelo could be a guy that you should be looking at in your fantasy leagues for season long. If uh, he passes to Petrangelo, pass, uh, Petrangelo scores or sets up somebody else, that's a nice secondary assist option for McNabb, and he's got a very good shot himself. So uh, a lot of offensive possibilities from both players here. Petrangelo is certainly the linchpin 
quarterback in the power play. In terms of a second option, one guy who was their first option on the power play, Shea Theodore, might take a bit of a hit in terms of his points per game, but certainly uh, another guy who should be among the top scoring defensemen in the league just because of his overall skill set. Partnered very well with Alex Mart- Alec Martinez to be one of the top uh, uh, four packs in the league, certainly the class of this division, in my estimation, four guys who can carry the mail offensively. And you can add a fifth when you consider Zach Whitecloud, who had a nice late season push and showed his offensive skill set throughout the late regular season and playoffs for the Knights. And Nick Holden, a very solid guy to round out the top six here. Uh, depth players like Nicholas Haig and Carl Dahlstrom and Dylan Coughlin won't see much ice time here unless one of those six guys gets hurt. But uh, one through six, maybe the, the best six-pack on defense in this division, AJ. What intrigues me with this group is is how they're going to deploy the, the top power play. Now, uh, kind of traditional sense would tell you that Petrangelo will quarterback the number one, Shea Theodore will quarterback the number two. But given that, you know, Theodore had a third of his points last season, came on the power play, he logged over three minutes per night um, with, with that top unit, Maybe they consider looking at having two uh, two defensemen on on that top five uh, power play unit. I, I certainly think it could raise some questions about you know who fills in then as as the number two uh, guy for them. But you know it's hard to keep a player like Shea Theodore who has produced so well for them uh, watching from the bench when your first unit is out there when he's had so much success for them. So I, it'll be interesting to watch. I certainly agree with you, though. If I'm in like a, a limited keeper league where I can only pick, you know, five, six guys to maybe keep, I would consider letting Shea Theodore walk just because there are so many questions about what his production might look like um, if he does get relegated to the, the second group here. As far as the forwards go, uh, the first group is going to be pretty much the same as what we're used to seeing in Jonathan March Assault. William Carlson and Riley Smith uh, anchoring that that first line. This is a, a trio that has produced and should continue to produce well for them, although the playoffs uh, were a bit of a disappointment across the board in terms of forward production here. So hopefully uh, for their fantasy owners and, and for Vegas fans, that doesn't carry into the new year. The big question immediately comes with the second line center, Paul Stastny is gone, so who's going to fill that role in between Match Pacioretty and Mark Stone? Uh, there's a number of players. I think Cody Glass gets first look, but his hold on that should be continued tenuous at best. Chandler Stephenson, Thomas Nosek all could see opportunities there. They could even try and think outside the box and move, you know, move a Riley Smith into center or or something like that. So uh, I, I think that's the biggest question mark for this team is, is second line center. Right now, as I said, we have Cody Glass. Uh, third line looks like Alex Tuck, Chandler Stephenson, Nicholas Roy, or Nicholas Waugh, rather, uh, rounding out that, that third line. And then a bunch of kind of tougher uh, bruisers here, if you will, for, for that fourth line in, in William Carrier, uh, Thomas Nosek, and Ryan Reeves. There's a couple of players you mentioned. Uh, Thomas Yerko could challenge for a spot. I think Keegan Colasar, Dylan Sakura, both could challenge there as well. Uh, and then one final question. Are we ever going to see 
first ever Vegas Golden Knights signing Reed Duke play in an NHL game. Uh, you know, can he secure uh, that? You know, it's it's one of those things where that's your trivia question. Who is the first player the Golden Knights ever signed? It was Reed Duke, and he hasn't played a single game for them yet. All right, partner, you got to come clean. Did you take French lessons this offseason? You nailed Nicholas Waugh here, too. That's <laughs> two for two today. I'm very impressed. And longtime listeners of our show have to give a nod to you. Uh, you really <laughs> brought your game today with the French-Canadian studies at the forefront. Uh, in terms of my assessment of this group uh, offensively, of course, you mentioned the top three, uh, Marcheseau, Carlson, and Smith been longtime line mates interesting note for me Willie Carlson was their goal scoring leader in the first year of this franchise but a steady and steep decline offensively in the in bulging the twine has uh, dotted his resume and he needs to bounce back from that I think to uh, really deliver fantasy value this season between those two wingers he's more than a puck distributor this guy's a goal scorer and he needs to show that again and he'll be pressed to do that because of the deficiency that you spot uh, unless glass fills in admirably on the second line they'll need Carlson to develop uh, rediscover that offensive firepower that he's displayed in the past Glass certainly has the inside track on the second uh, line center role couldn't ask for a better situation surrounded by Pacioretty and Stone two of the more proven scorers on the wing in the entire league flanking him so it's a real plumb assignment and again I'll remind listeners to check back to Rotowire's depth chart to see who's playing in between those two guys right now it looks like Glass gets the look but Chandler Chandler Stevenson waiting in the wings and you mentioned they have a wealth of other options there Alex Tuck is another guy if he was playing anywhere else he'd be a top six forward that's how good I think he is so uh, don't don't sleep on him as a, a late round pick and certainly injury insurance in the Vegas situation. AJ, that completes our assessment of uh, what is a two-tier division in my estimation. I think it's reflected in, in my view on how this, this division will pan out. And I just got to look at your rankings. I think we're pretty much in sync here. So why don't you walk us through one through eight, what you think the final order of stand, the standings will be in the West Division of the NHL. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think the fact that, as you mentioned, Vegas has probably the best goaltending tandem in the league um, in, in two starting netminders will put them right up there. And, and they've got a lot of pieces. But the question mark at center has me putting Colorado as number one uh, in this division. You know, uh, Nathan McKinnon, as you said, could challenge for for the top score uh, for the scoring title this league this year i think that's certainly a possibility so i've got colorado one vegas two and st louis not far behind them uh you highlighted the depth they've got jordan pennington maybe if his numbers dip you could see this change but i totally agree with what we, you've said throughout the show is that this is tier one of of the league uh, or of the division rather from there uh, I like Minnesota right now to be the number four. There are a lot of questions as I as I highlighted, but I think uh, things could go their way. I like what Bill Guerin is doing to build out that team. So I've got them as the number four. I think San Jose has a bounce back year. A lot of injuries there. They brought in Dubnik to shore up the net mining a little bit. So I have them as five. Arizona, uh, there's too many things I, I think that are questionable here. Uh, which is why I have them down at the six. You know, losing Taylor Hall is a big one. They didn't really address that. They trade away Derek Stepan. Um, and look, I think, I'll, as I said, Oliver Ekman Larson won't finish the season with the Coyotes. So that's another uh, spot that they'll need to fill. 
and then Anaheim and LA are just too, you know, too far down into rebuilds. They have fantastic netminders in John Gibson and Jonathan Quick, um, but there's just so many holes here. They're on the the rebuild. I think there's reasons for optimism when you look at both teams, but they're not going to go anywhere uh, quite yet. I have only a very slight variance from what you're saying, and to me, I'm already looking forward to the first round playoff between Vegas and St. Louis, and I think Colorado's going to be licking their lips thinking they're going to get a carcass to play in the second round (laughs) because those teams are going to lock horns, and I'm sure that's that's one series you can pencil in for a seven-gamer right now. I've got Colorado at the top of the heap like you can. Uh, I don't think there's too many prognosticators who think that Colorado will not win this division, so I'm right with them as you are. But Vegas and St. Louis, I can't wait for that series. Uh, the intrigue for me is in four and five. Who's going to be the, the sacrificial land for the Avs in the first round. I think it's going to be Arizona, AJ. I think they've had a veteran tandem in the Nets that I like. They've got uh, quality uh, youth sprinkled throughout their offense that I think some of them are going to take a big next step. And uh, I don't think they're finished in terms of moves before the season starts. They're one team that, that has some flexibility, I think, going forward. So I'm going to give them the nod over Minnesota, a team that is in a, a major rebuild and really stuck at center. And I think when I think about building a team out uh, I think you got to have strength down the middle they really don't and so that's why I put them in the fifth spot and then it's the three California based teams that uh, may have this team this uh, the fan base thinking oh when is baseball season going to start because they're not going to get much excitement on the hockey side with Anaheim San Jose and LA rounding out this division so that's our look at the western division we want to hear from our listeners to see what they think uh, one through eight whether we've got it anywhere close to right or wrong But, uh, A.J., any final thoughts before we sign off and look forward to next week when we preview the Central Division of the NHL? We're getting closer to the Pittsburgh Penguins, but we're going to save them for last just to draw it out for you. Yeah, absolutely. No, uh, I'm excited. You know, we're we're getting so close. Uh, Training camp rosters have started to be announced, so uh, that's going to be really interesting to watch and see um, which players come back from overseas. There were a ton of guys loaned over there to start the year and it's going to be interesting to see what uh, guys get opportunities to come back Uh, I'm interested to see how this whole taxi squad thing works and and the call-ups that you know it sounds like you're going to have to call up a guy from the AHL to the taxi squad where he'll then have to quarantine into you know protocols so you really can only add on a you know if you have a last minute injury you're only able to add from your taxi squad guys not necessarily your AHL guys. And so uh, it's going to be an interesting process this year, and I'm, I can't wait for it to start, that's for sure. And one of the conclusions that I want you to feel better about is, don't worry, pal, Flurry's going to play more than you think. <laughs> AJ, that wraps up uh, this episode of Podcast with Statsman and AJ Rotowire, signature fantasy hockey podcast. Listeners, you're invited to join us next week as we preview the Central Division of the NHL. Please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen in to podcasts to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. Don't forget, you can also watch us on YouTube now to see how good-looking AJ is. He's got a real nice-looking beard going. (laughs) So long, everybody. (laughs) 